Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Each day we'll look at a text from the weekly readings from the Westgate Church Bulletin. We will look at background material and also application of the text. So once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Our reading today comes from Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 through 14. If you remember a week ago, we looked at the first part of this psalm. We looked at verses 1 through 6, and we talked about how Psalm 19, written by King David, is informing us that God reveals himself in two different ways. We have God's revelation in the natural world. Then we look at creation and the power and the wonder of creation. We see there must be a creator that created all of this. Something does not come from nothing. When you see order and beauty and just goodness about this creation, there's something that, that draws us to, whether it's a mountain vista or a sunset at the ocean, there's just something about the beauty And then there's something about the power of a thunderstorm or the crashing waves uh, that just strike some type of wonder and awe and fear in some way into our hearts when we think about the created order. David shifts gears and says, God's word, God's law is perfect. If you go and look at verse verse 7, he starts with this, the law of the Lord is perfect. Now, If you're a Christian, this might confuse you a little bit. You may think, well, now, wait a minute. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament speaks negatively about the law. So why would David say the law is perfect? We're going to get to that question in just a minute. But let's just read these verses and see what David is telling us about God's word. This law that he's talking about would be, at that time, the Old Testament that had been completed thus far. Uh, Let's just say, for example, David is talking about Uh, The first five books of the Old Testament, possibly. We're not sure what all had been compiled at that point as far as the books of the Bible uh, that would have been considered part of the Hebrew canon, uh, the part of Scripture that they were reading. Of course, the Psalms are being written at this time. So let's just say the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's what he's talking about here. So verse 7, this is the English Standard Version. The law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover by them, is your servant warned, and keeping them there is a great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over him, that I should be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, verse 14, you're probably going to recognize is a very famous Scripture passage, a lot of people memorize. It's a a wonderful verse. But you notice some things about the law of God. I mean, he has this high view of God's law. Also, there's a transition in here that you won't pick up in the English translation. In the first few verses, he only uses the general name for God, El, uh, where we get the idea Elohim. So just the general word for God. When you get to verse 7, He uses the covenant name of God, Yahweh, over and over again. Yahweh designates the God of relationship, the God who has come and formed this covenant with us. And part of this covenant bond is he has given us his law, 
His law is a blessing, according to David. It's a good thing. It's pure and it's upright. If you want to live a good life, if you want to be a wise person, you can have all kinds of degrees. You can have a PhD, you can have master's degrees, and you can be a foolish person. A truly wise person takes God's word and learns how to apply it into different situations. You can be a brain box and have a bunch of memory verses and know a lot of stuff about the Bible, but a truly wise person knows how to apply scripture in all kinds of life situations. So that's what David is telling us. Wise people know how to apply God's word. So he's just laying it out there for us over and over with different images. How good and wholesome and wonderful is God's word. Now, let's get back to the elephant in the room. Earlier, I mentioned that Paul gives some teaching on the law that seems to be negative. For example, that we're under the bondage of the law. In Romans 7, he talks about how it awakens the passion of the sinful flesh. And so when law comes, you know, it, it awakens this part of us that's rebellious, uh, that, that craves sinful behavior against God's good word. What we need to understand as Christians, we, we caricature this argument. We make it way too simple. And we'll just say, well, the law was bad and gospel came and liberated us from that old law. The problem was not the law. And we got to get this straight. The problem was sinful flesh, the passions of the flesh, because in our own sinful flesh, we are going to rebel against God's law and God's commandments all the time. We would be foolish to say that there were no commandments in the New Testament. The New Testament is full of prohibitions, things we shouldn't do. The New Testament is full of commandments. So that's not the issue. The issue is sinful flesh. And the law was not able to take care of sinful flesh. It couldn't do that. Others would come and say, man, there's some stuff in the law that's kind of crazy. You know, you have people say, well, homosexuality is considered to be sinful in God's eyes. And we find that in Leviticus. We also find that in the New Testament too. But there's also some things in the Old Testament that seem just kind of crazy. For example, there's prohibition against wearing mixed fabric. There's also this idea that we shouldn't mix seeds when we plant seed. And we're like, okay, what's that all about? So a lot of people that take shots against Christians, they'll say, well, you guys say that homosexuality is wrong. And in that same place in the Bible, in the book of Leviticus, where it talks about homosexuality being a sin, it also talks about wearing mixed fabric. So, you know, why do you guys wear mixed fabric? And then you say homosexuality is wrong. You just pick and choose what parts of the Bible you want to say is important and binding. And that sounds like a really good argument on, on face uh, value. I think there's this scene in the old television show, The West Wing, where you get that argument against uh, a conservative Bible-believing person. And boy, it sounds great. And everybody's thinking, well, that's a revolutionary argument. And actually, it's a terrible argument. It's not a real good argument at all because these people do not have wisdom. They don't understand how to apply the Old Testament. So, what is binding and what's not binding from the Old Testament on a Christian? First of all, we need to understand that the Old Testament is divided into three different types of laws. First, there's civil law. This is the law for the nation of Israel. That's only for them. Things like just practices, the law of property, being just to the poor, not having unjust scales in the marketplace, robbery, extortion, those kinds of things. Civil laws in which you actually could be executed for some of these things. There's also ceremonial laws. These would be sacrifices, priestly duties in the temple where you would have incense and animal sacrifice and Passover feasts and those kinds of things. So those 
are found in the Old Testament. And the third type of law is moral law. These are laws such as no idolatry, don't sacrifice children to false gods, don't commit adultery, incest, bestiality, or homosexuality, uh, loving your neighbors as yourself, don't steal or don't lie. And so when you start to look at these practices, civil law was meant for Israel. Now, we can learn from civil law. We could say, okay, well, the Old Testament civil law tells us what God cares about in a just society, but it's not binding on America today. We don't have to go back and be a theocracy under the law of Moses. Ceremonial laws like the sacrifices and all those kinds of things were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Christ's perfect sacrifice on the cross. He was our Passover lamb. We see the Feast of Tabernacles being fulfilled at Pentecost. I mean, we could go, we don't have time in this podcast, but we could go through and show how all these ceremonial laws were fulfilled in different parts of the New Covenant. They reached their completion in Christ. The moral law, though, for the most part, you'll notice, it carries over to the New Testament. The same morality that you find in the Old Testament, you also see in the New Covenant. And the difference is, we have been transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit comes into our lives and renews us and regenerates us, we no longer rebel against that moral law, but we crave that moral law. So understanding how the law fits and knowing where you are in the scriptural narrative matters. So when he talks about the law being good and pure and all that, it is good. It's, if you look at it, the civil law tells us what God cares about in a just society. You get some view of the heart of God. The ceremonial law points toward the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. And then the moral law is how you live holy before God. I mean, if you are going to be a person that's holy like God is holy, you're going to live a holy life, a life where you respect other people's property. You respect the life of everyone. You live sexually pure in an impure world. So I hope this has helped today. I thought this would be a good time to kind of talk through how the law works in the life of a Christian because it comes up here in this psalm. Because of the length of of this discussion of the law, I'm not going to read the entire passage again, but I want to just read verse 14 of Psalm 19. And this would kind of be our, our prayer for the day as we close out. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let that be our verse that we live by today. I hope you have a great day. Hope to see you back again tomorrow.